Welcome back, everybody, to the Wildlife Command Center podcast. This is your host, Chris Starr. And again, here on Michael Brand Mondays, I've got... Fair Hands Brand. We're back. And on this week's episode, we're still going into the origin story of Wildlife Command Center. Where we left you last week is us, hopeless, destitute, brokenhearted. We've just been kicked out of AOL Animal Control. Michael had to relinquish all of the offices, $165,000 worth of company uh, assets. Everything's here. You delve into it. Yeah. And so we've got nothing. Like we have, not only did I start from zero, I started from a negative $165,000. Yeah. We were hurting. I mean, we were in such bad condition, mostly because. I wanted to continue to do this this type of work, but I could not operate anywhere. There was a a all animal control franchise, and they were, I mean, they were hard nosed about it too, man. I mean, mm. I would say, hey, can I can I operate in this city? Of this city would be so. Oh, let's just back up a little bit. I get the car from you, and me and Bonnie get in, and we start driving. We are going to find a location. And so we we drove to New Orleans. I was like, no. We went to Mobile, Alabama. I was like, no. We went to Jacksonville, Florida. I was like, huh? Hey, Jacksonville, Florida. Dang, that was an option. Yeah. And so we were like, I presented it to Josie Moss and she goes, no, you can't go there. We're thinking about opening our franchise in Jacksonville, Florida. I was like, are you kidding me? And she had her lawyer call me and I was like, ah, damn. So we went up to Nashville, Tennessee and I was like, whoa, Nashville, this looks, this is pretty good, you know? Uh And again, no, you can't get it. So her lawyer called me again and I didn't know at the time I was I was scared. I was I was really afraid because I I had so little options. I had no money. I had no resources. I had no leverage, and so I didn't mm-hmm. want to cross them and then they be able to kick me out for real. Because for real, for real. Because whatever I did, it had to work. We're talking yeah. about the pavement was hitting the rubber. And it had to go, whatever I did. Mm -hmm. So we went up along the East Coast, and we went all the way to Boston. Really? Baltimore area. And and we were like, hey, this this could work. And she's like, eh, it's too far north. So we head back down south. We went to to Chicago. Mm -hmm. And we're like, hey, this could work. This is a big city, you know? And she was like, eh, you know, I don't know. Let's just, let's look at a couple more places on the way back. And so we went through Springfield, Illinois. We're like, huh, this could work. Yeah, small. And then we went through St. Louis. Mm -hmm. And Bonnie saw some of those limestone outcroppings and some of these rocks and some of Mm. these prettiness, you know? And she was like, hey, now this was the sp- Not so bad. this was the spring of 2014, and the leaves were just coming in, and things were looking pretty good. And I was like, "This could work." And we drove by this big church on the hill, and it was called Faith Church. And I was like, "Wow, look at that!" And she was like, "Yeah, that's pretty neat." 
you know? And so we drove all over the place. We drove High Ridge. We drove House Springs. We were all over. We went to Hillsboro. We went down to Festus. And we were like, man, this could really work. And I said, this is going to get, I'm going to put a big old asterisk by St. Louis because this really could work, you know? From there, did you go to Oklahoma City? Because that was one of our options too. We went to Oklahoma City and I was like, wait, Oklahoma City could work too because there were a lot of pig Mm -hmm. problems. But you know, we went through Kansas City to get to Oklahoma City. We went through Kansas City and we're like, this is another big city. We went through Wichita and we're like, this is another big city, you know? And so we had a list of of big cities on the thing. That didn't have AL Animal Control franchises in it. They did not have AL Animal Control franchises. And also, by the way, at this point, I had stopped presenting options to people. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I was like, because it was like, obviously, yeah, they were going to yeah, say no yeah. to every single option that I presented because they did not want me to succeed. And certainly, they did not want me as a competitor. So anyway, we uh, we went back to Shreveport and we were weighing our options. And miraculously, someone called me. Augie, mm, Augie from AA Animal Control, who boy. who is an advertiser and a website developer and a network developer and a directory developer, and he said, "Hey, I heard you got into some some problems with <laughs> with Josie Moss and A All Animal Control," and I was like telling him all my woes, and he's like, "Hey, look, yeah, just wonder if you might be interested in this." And he gave me an option of three or four cities that he had advertising space in. And guess what? One of them was St. Louis, Missouri. And Mm -hmm. I said, are you kidding me? I said, could you turn the phones on for a little bit and just let me listen to a few of the calls that might be coming in? And so I listened to... It was about two weeks worth of calls. He, he, He basically rolled the number over to my phone And Mm -hmm. I answered the calls and I would talk to the customers in St. Louis, basically just end up saying, Hey, we're we're really booked. Here's another here's another option that she can go. And so I called Augie and I was like, Hey dude, we definitely we'll take it. We'll take it. We'll take it. Was this before you and I went to Albuquerque? Yes. Yes. This is before you and I went. This was right at that same same time like that. And he said, okay, well, I'll tell you what, let me get back to you. I got a few details I got to work out. The person that currently has it isn't paying me, doesn't want to pay mm. me, doesn't like the service, but I'm still obligated to him. I'll get back to you. That was about the time that I was like, hey, look, we got to go do something. So I was like, let's go on a trip. Let's clear our minds and uh, let's just go hunting, you know? So you and me, and three Harris Hawks packed up the truck and we headed to Albuquerque, New Mexico, because that's a great place to mm-hmm. ch- catch jackrabbits, you know? And also, I was trying to figure out how I could manipulate Albuquerque, you know? Because technically, there was no AOL animal control there. It was just, I was there, but they didn't have anybody else to pick up that franchise in the Albuquerque area. And nobody was on the slate. And I was contemplating whether I was going to take the chance and do it. Against the rules, against their will. Mm -hmm. But technically, I thought I could get away with it because there wasn't an operator there. you know. But I was afraid Mm -hmm. because whatever I did had to work. 
There was no, yeah. no ifs, ands, or buts. It had to work. And so you and I went there. And, you know, when we got in, we were like, let's go on a fast. Let's, yep. let's go on a fast and let's fast Dude. and let's pray. And, and then you and I went to this church and it was crazy because these guys Man. came out of nowhere and they go, hey, y'all, y'all are new. And I was like, yeah. Hey, can we just pray with you? And I was like, yes, you can. We need it. Please, dude. Please. <laughs> and it was crazy, man. It was like somebody was feeding them in information because they knew everything about us, it seemed, because they were praying some yeah. good prayer. And we were fasting and we were seeking and we were looking and we were hoping and everything. And then the third day we were we were in Albuquerque, Augie called me. He goes, "Hey, I worked it out with this other guy. He's he's dropping the the site, and it's yours if you want it." And I said, "I want it." Oh man! I said, oh. "I want it." Oh. And right. he goes, "All right, well, he goes, uh, get your affairs in order. When can you open up?" And I was like. <laughs> Let me find a place Dude. to live. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Let me find a place to live. So you and I headed back to Shreveport and we we told Bonnie and she was pretty excited, but she said, I tell you what, I'm going to keep this house here because we know we got this house and I'm going to keep my job working at Brentwood Mental Hospital. And, I, and yeah. you go do that. And if you can make it work, then I will sell the house and I'll move to, to St. Louis. And so yeah. she stayed in Brentwood and she made all the money and she <laughs> is what kept the house payment going and she is what kept the credit card payments going and she was the only one providing at the time. And that was hard on me because I'm used to being the provider. I'm used to being the yeah. protector and I'm used to professing my love for her and professing my love for God. And all of a sudden she was the one that was carrying the load. So we mm-hmm. got we got back to Shreveport and we went and we rented a U-Haul, a big one too. It was like a 20-footer, you know? Oh, dude, yeah. And then we loaded down our other trucks. We loaded down the little black truck. We loaded down the, the 2010 Silverado, Silverado, you know? And we had Woo-hoo! the Titan at the time. I got a picture of us, all the, the U-Haul, the Silverado, the Titan, and the black truck all lined up next to each other. We had ladders on it. We had cages on top of the ladders because we couldn't <laughs> cage traps. down like crazy. You know, we had the backs of those trucks loaded down. And then we started the trip back. And about halfway through it, we had just crossed into the Missouri border. And the two dogs started vomiting Start. green rat poison. Neon green, dude. Neon green rat poison. Go ten and dub. Oh. While we were loading everything up, had got into a pail of rat poison, and the two of those dogs decided that they had to eat half that bucket of rat poison. And we didn't discover that until we were halfway through. And I mean, we had rat poison coming out both ends of those dogs. They were they were pooping it everywhere. It was just green diarrhea, oh, and man. they were vomiting. And both of the dogs. Woozy. Oh, yeah. And they couldn't stand. They couldn't walk. And the closest vet to where we were was all the way in what was called Antonio, but we we understand now that it was Imperial, Missouri. So we were just like, well, guys, 
y'all did it. You're going to have to live long enough to get us to the vet. We got those dogs to oh the vet. Oh, my gosh, dude. All the anxieties f- coming back to me now. They were in my truck with me, dude. I'm freaking out. And then the vet says, oh, we can't do anything about it because that's a neurotoxin. It's not a hematoxin. So we can't administer vitamin K. We're just yeah. going to have to see if they make it. Flush their systems out with charcoal, make them puke and vomit it up more. That was that was the first day. That was the first day. Yeah, that was day one. Or that, not even day one, day zero, bro. By the way, that was August the 12th, just so you know. Well, we had a place to stay. We pulled up. And it had this great big apron of a driveway and all three trucks fit up there. And then the moving truck parked out front and we moved everything in there. And the neighbors were like, oh my God, what's going on here? You know, <laughs> they're like, what is fixing to happen here? And then I, on August the 13th, we had everything unloaded. We returned to U-Haul. We were pretty much set in. That carport was just full of traps. That little shed mm-hmm. in the back full of traps. And I called Augie, and I said, Augie, turn the internet on. And he goes, okay. Crank it, baby. Be, he said, okay, well, I'll, I'll be able to turn it on tonight, so tomorrow morning it'll be live. August the 14th, the very first phone call we got was a previous customer, or was not even a previous customer, but it was a customer that the previous owner of the website had already done an estimate for, but had not followed up with him for like three or four months. Oh, the wow. guy calls me and he says, hey, you know, I've been trying to get in touch with you. Are you going to do this raccoon remediation? And I was like, absolutely. absolutely. And I was like, can you, <laughs> it's been a little while. Can you give me some of the details? He goes, well, I think you need to come look at it again. I was like, I think you're right. And so oh, I go, for sure. and so I go look at it. And sure <laughs> enough, there's a raccoon hole, you know, and the guy's just set steadily telling me everything that his insurance will cover, you know, because the, <gasps> so, the guy already had a quote and the guy had already went to his insurance company and got approved. I was listening to everything he was saying. And I was like, in my mind, I'm like, okay, so here's the situation. This customer has been left out to dry. It's been four months. So I'm going to consider this job dead to whoever gave him this quote. And I'm yes. just going to pick it up from there. And I'm just going to make sure that the numbers match. And sure enough, there was good profit in this, you know. But I mean, bro, we're eating freaking ramen at this time. Screw that guy. <laughs> So our very first job on August the 14th was a $14,000 raccoon clean out. Mm -hmm. It was a little bitty small, small attic too. But that was the job where we had both the trucks pulled in the the yard and we were vacuuming out insulation. We'd already caught the raccoons. We were vacuuming out insulation Mm -hmm. and one of the hoses popped off. We had insulation all over that yard. Remember that? But up until then... So I had four territories that I lost. I had Shreveport, I had Dallas, I had McKinney, mm-hmm. I had Little Rock, and I had Albuquerque. All of those, the best we'd ever done was $272,000 in gross sales. And then 2013, 14, we lost everything. We ended up losing the territories, the equipment, the cell phones, everything. We lost everything. Mm. And so I was $165,000 in the hole. Of course, that money is gone. 2014, we started August the 14th, 2014 in St. Louis. 
And from August the 14th until December the 30th, we did $290,000 in sales. <laughs> did we really? And you freaking did not have to pay a hard cent to nobody. Nope. Besides the tax man. I got to keep all of that money. I just paid for equipment. I paid for, for labor. I paid for wow, overhead. Wow, that's nuts. Yeah. And so that year, from then, in 2015, we doubled in size. Boom. You know? Oh, dude. And I didn't even know, the young bloods. we didn't even know how to sell a thing back then. No. Like, as far as decent sales techniques, you were the only one who did. Yeah, because at that time, remember I had I had painted the whole wall with that chalk paint, that black chalk paint. Oh, that's right. And and we were <laughs> writing everything in chalk on that wall in that house that we lived in. And we were trying to keep it organized. We were using paper and then we got carbon paper. Or we got the carbon uh-huh. press through paper, you know? And then oh, and then, yeah. so we got our contract on carbon press through paper. And then we got uh we started doing yeah. pickup receipts with carbon paper. I thought that's what big stuff, man. And then we got online and we started using QuickBooks and we started keeping up with good notes and good tracks. And then at that point, 2015, we moved Tyler Sladen. We I got him out of the army, wrote him a mm-hmm. couple of letters so that he could get out of the army early. And in 2016, we were pressing up on $900,000 in 2016. But that was also the winter we lost Chance. Chance was like, hey, I hate the winters. This is crazy. Y'all are nuts. (laughs) I'm going to go get a college education. And so he went down to Mm -hmm. Florida. And then in 2016, we pressed and we went over $1 million. (laughs) And then in 2019, we went over $2 million. And then in 2020, which we thought was going to be was the, t- yeah. we thought 2020, was, I mean, doom and gloom. I mean, everybody yeah. said, pull it in, boys. The economy is shutting down. And it pretty much did. Everything's going to crash. And I told everybody, I was like, we're not stopping. We're going to continue. We're going to go full blast. And we are going to grow. And we're going to expand, and we will not be affected by this. And in 2020, we did 2.5 million. <laughs> I can't believe this. We opened up a new location. Yeah, we opened. We up, opened up Sacramento. We opened up Sacramento. <laughs> I mean, we were just hustling. We were we were determined. And so now we're into. So we made it through 2020. And so my prediction for. 2021 was that we would do based on calculations. And you know, once you get to a a certain size, you stop doubling and multiplying, you know, you start to become limited to capacity and resources. However, I said that we would do 2.75 million in 2021. We already hit that. (laughs) (laughs) And so we got two months left. We got November and Mm -hmm. we got December. And we are going to be pressed so close to $3 million. As a matter of fact, I ran some numbers this morning before the podcast. And if, if we do the same amount this November that we did last November, and Mm -hmm. we do the same amount this December that we did last December, we will just barely squeak past $3 million. 
Oh, all right. I'm freaking fired up, dude. Yep. If we can just maintain the momentum of just what we did last year, but I'm going to tell you, 2021 has been better every month than 2020. And 2020 was better every month than 2019 and so forth and so on. So we've been growing Mm -hmm. better and better. And a lot of it is because of guerrilla marketing. When you think of how we have established this brand and put this brand in front of the consumer, our guerrilla marketing is really, really starting to to take hold. And Mm -hmm. it's one of the reasons why every winter gets a little bit better, you know? Yeah, a a little less lean, a little less ramen. Yeah, winters in this industry are tough, unless you live in Dallas. Now, (laughs) Now, in Dallas, it's the opposite. Oh, so Nick is ramping up right now? Summers are lean, winters are heavy. Yeah, because in Dallas, it's so hot that the animals are like, I don't want nothing to do with that attic. Attic, no, nothing. You know, because the attics are 160 degrees in the Dallas area. But in the wintertime, mm-hmm. you know, they cool down to about 80 degrees. And so the animals are like, huh, well, it's ain't so bad. Well, it's 60 degrees outside, but it's 80 degrees in the attic. Let's go hang out in there because it's a lot more comfortable. But let's talk about guerrilla marketing. You know, we got about 20 minutes left in this podcast. And I really think that we should focus on, when we talk about a successful business model, what does it take? And in my mind, guerrilla marketing is a keystone. It is a philosophy. It is a lifestyle and it is something that can even help you in your personal life. Because the whole concept behind guerrilla marketing is that you are constantly and forever putting your logo in front of possible consumers in every single aspect of your life, you know? And mm-hmm. when you look at Wildlife Command Center, and how we've positioned ourselves and how we have taken this brand and we are constantly serving it to potential customers in every single way. I would like to talk about some of the very minute ways that we do that. Now, this may sound completely off kilter, but these are the things that I do. Like, first off, I am Wildlife Command Center. Like, yeah. I, I am in uniform Every day, you will rarely see me in civilian clothes because I have so many logoed merchandise that I refuse to wear somebody else's logo. I just do not, I can't see myself advertising for somebody else when I could be advertising for me. Yeah, exactly. And that's why I've got clothes that would be civilian clothes with my logo on it, you know, and everywhere I go. When I travel, There's three things that I do when I travel. And I travel on airplanes a lot, okay? Every week. Just about, okay? First off, I have a wrapped truck that is amazing. Dropping you off, yep. If Either dropping me off or I'm parking it in an airport parking lot. If I park in an airport parking lot, I look for, I don't care how far I have to walk, but I'm going to find an in-cap, where there is no other vehicle on three sides of me, 
Mm-hmm. And I'm going to park there because every single person that's coming in and out of that parking lot on those shuttle buses is going to drive by my car and look, go, whoa, that car is oh, different. Wow. That I truck is different. That truck. Look at that. What is that? Wildlife Command Center? I wonder who they are and pulling up all of our stuff. So that's the first thing. But I'm like that everywhere I park my vehicle. You know, I always mm-hmm. make sure my vehicle is perfectly washed. I have to hand wash it because of the ladder racks. You know, yep. but I want people to be able to see the color. I want people to be able to see the telephone number. I want people to be able to see the logo. And I want that imprinted in their brain because sooner or later, they're going to have an animal problem. And I mm-hmm. want them to remember what was that wildlife company, Wildlife Command, Wildlife or something? All they got a picture of it. All they got to do is Google wildlife. My name will pop up. All they got to do is Google Command Wildlife or Command Center or center wildlife or wildlife center, anything of that nature, and they'll find they'll find ah. us. You know? Mm-hmm. But I want them, I want that impressed on it. So wherever I park, if I go to the QT, I always get gas on the outermost pump where the entrance to the QT is, because everybody driving in there is gonna see my vehicle Pull whenever I'm in truck. getting gas. You know, because that's important to me that they see that vehicle. I am always in a hat that says Wildlife Command Center. I have a mask that says Wildlife Command Center on it. I'm in a shirt that says Wildlife Command Center on the front, on the left sleeve, on the right sleeve, and a giant in the back. (laughs) You know? I've even got pants that have Wildlife Command Center embroidered on the back pocket. So if if I'm walking by and they're looking at my butt, they're going to see Wildlife Command Center. You know? But when I'm in the airport, I always stay. I never sit in the corner. I always stand in the middle of the the walkway, mostly because I'm playing Pokemon Go. And too bad (laughs) we're not going to have enough time to talk about that. No, no, no. Not this episode. We'll talk about Mm -hmm. that in another episode. But I want people to see me as I'm going. But here's the other thing I do. Is you know how they board in groups? Yes. Well, that doesn't matter to me. Because I've already got a guaranteed seat on that airplane. Mm -hmm. I already know I'm going to get a seat on that airplane. I am always the last person on the airplane. You go up there, you stand in the line, but then you wait till the very, very Well, mostly I'm playing Pokemon Go, and I just wait till everybody's on there. And then I wait (laughs) until they call my name, looking for passenger Baran. Michael Baran, and then when they call my name looking for me, then I'll come up. That's me. And I'll say, hey, that was me. I'll key in. And then when I walk on the airplane, every single person on that airplane is looking at me. And they see my mask, says Wildlife Command Center. They see my hat, says Wildlife Command Center. They see my logo, says Wildlife Command Center. I'm the last person. The flight attendant has already announced all right, we're getting ready to blame. We're, we're getting ready to lock out. We're just looking for a few more passengers, you know? And then all and of a sudden, like, I show up. What the heck? And I walk through, and they see that logo. And every single, all 150 people on that airplane are looking at me. Because one, they're <laughs> like, well, it's about time you showed up. But yep. two. But then they get taken off guard. Like, what? What? Who's this guy? Yeah, like, who is this guy, you know? But I get those, I get those knowing looks. They either shake their head at me or they'll wave to me, you know? Mm -hmm. And every airplane, probably two or three people on there give me that look that they know me. 
or they know my oh, logo, really? or they've been a customer, or they've seen me somewhere, or they've watched me on, on TV, or they watch my YouTube channel, you know? And every once in a while, I'll get lucky and I'll sit next to somebody or within distance of somebody that, you know, we'll talk about it. You know? mm-hmm. But that doesn't happen very often. But it's all about guerrilla marketing. Not yet. It's all about using every opportunity in your life to put your logo out there in front of somebody, you know, and immersing yourself into this, this business. If you're the business owner or if you're a territory manager, you need to be completely immersed because you got to constantly be putting it out there. You know, if you're not constantly out there hustling business, then you're only doing the business that's given to you. And you can't make any real money that way. And if you're not out there hustling for more and putting your name out there for more, then you're only going to get what would naturally come to you. You know, that's, that's it. That's all that you, so you're limiting yourself. And so if I was only to advertise with Augie, you know, AA animal control, then I would only get the calls that he funnels to me. And that's as much as I would get because mm. that's a finite number, you know, yeah. but I don't, I got Facebook going, I've got Instagram going, I've got a Facebook page for every single office going, you know, so that every, every territory manager has the opportunity to be out in front of the public. And to constantly be putting new content out there in front of the public and growing the audience on their Facebook page. Every territory manager has that Facebook page and it's available for them, you know? And then the other thing is every every territory has a marked truck. And so keeping those trucks clean so that people can read the mm-hmm. numbers and people can see. And then every opportunity to park that truck where people can watch it and see it and learn Mm -hmm. who they are. That's the whole concept behind guerrilla marketing is taking every single opportunity for things that don't cost anything and marketing the company so that you can get more than what's being given to you. Because if you you just get what you're given, you're only going to get what you're given. You got to get out there and hustle more. And guerrilla marketing is the way to do it. You know, get that, get that extra, get that more, you know, get in those networking groups. Networking groups are pretty much free or very low cost. And you are putting your logo in front of people that know people that will refer you, mm-hmm. you know, networking groups. And I'm talking about like the Rotary Club or the Chamber of Commerce, or if you really get into some of these things, there's all these free organizations, free networking clubs that are sort of like BNI, Business Networking mm-hmm. Incorporated, but they've got these little groups and they, they meet up for lunch. They talk about what they're doing. They're talking about what kind of referrals they're looking for. And so these groups, these networking groups are free. Going to social groups, social networking really, really works, not only on the internet, but in person, you know? Yeah. If you're of a religious flair, go to church, get in small groups, get people there to know you. And when that church in that congregation has an animal issue, they all know who to go to, you know? Exactly. That's why I wear my uniform to church every single time I go to church. People know who I am. They know exactly what I do. 
they have a problem, they come and get me. Or they just want to tell me an animal story. <laughs> of course, <laughs> yeah. right? You're happy to listen. I am happy to listen. You know why? Because that's genuine engagement. That means something. And when you listen to somebody's story, which is important to them, mm-hmm. you listen to their story, you are locked in on that person because they're like, you know what? They listened to my animal story and they believed me and they understood me and they could relate with me. And the next time they run across somebody else that's having an animal problem, they're going to refer you. Yeah, had a lady like that yesterday. A little eccentric, you know, but people didn't believe her stories. And she kept saying, but I've seen the possum on the camera. And I'm like, what, what do you mean? I don't believe you if you physically have evidence of it, you know, <laughs> like getting in. And then she showed me the spot. And I'm like, well, sure enough, you know, there's space where the animals very clearly has enough room to get in there. Of course, let's get this possum out of your hair. You know, that reminds me of a story that we need to tell another episode. Oh, boy. Laser eyes? <laughs> oh, that's a good story, too. <laughs> that would be a great story to tell, the laser oh, eyes. Uh, laser eyes. Because, you know, we've got two of those stories. You know, Chris Langevin, he went and did a bat inspection in Dallas area, and, mm-hmm. and, and we had laser eye bats. And then you were involved with the, the bat that was shooting lasers and burning the furniture. You know, we got to tell that story. I mean, we got the rest of our lives to tell these stories to our listeners. (laughs) You know, our listeners Uh are going to be well entertained with some of our stories as we go through because, you know, there's so many good stories out there, you know, that that we can tell. You know, it's one of the reasons why we have this this reality TV show called Bare Hands Rescue, which everyone should go to Discovery Plus, type in Bare Hands Rescue and watch that. And as a matter of fact, if they don't have Discovery Plus, they can go to our Facebook page, our Instagram page, our YouTube page. Mm-hmm. And they can follow the link and get a free seven-day trial for Discovery Plus, and they can watch the reality show with you and me in it, Bare Hands Rescue, doing the Heck things yeah. that we do every day, rescuing people from wild animals. And we finally got it on camera. And we get it on camera, you know? So it's, it's exciting stuff. I mean, very exciting stuff. And it is the basis of guerrilla marketing, doing what you do normally, but with intention that you do it a little bit better and you put yourself out there a little bit brighter and a little Mm -hmm. bit bolder and you put your logo and you put your name in front of potential customers and eventually they're going to have an animal problem and they're going to Google search, what's that company? I mean, I can remember what the logo looks like, Uh, wildlife something, they're going to find you because they're going to go past all your competitors mm-hmm. and they're going to look for that logo because they'll they'll remember that logo, especially our logo because we got those bright primary colors. We got that Harris hawk. We got that squirrel. We got that rat. We got that snake. And we got our catchphrase. We, we can, can catch it. Catch it. <laughs> Dude, I'm thinking let's crank out a full season of Bare Hands Rescue, right? Yeah. Or, you know, if the TV show uh, turns to a different name, something else. And then, like, so let's get every office situated and rocking and rolling. And then I think you and me and Chance and, you know, somebody that we've lined up, but I think all three of us, because we're the co-founders, open up our Houston, Texas location. I'm for it. Yes. <laughs> we'll go down there, man. You know, we'll stay there for a couple of weeks, cranking out business, hustling business, just driving the big, fat 
wildlife command center, full-size trucks all around town. I'm all about it. I'm all about it. You know, I've got I've got two places in my mind for the next offices. And yeah. definitely Houston is on the radar, <laughs> baby. Oh, hey, so sorry to, to touch back on that. Why I said that is because that is where the infamous Josie and Brian Moss, that's where their headquarters are. Yes, Josie Moss has her headquarters in Houston, Texas. And I would love to go down mm. there and open up a competing business Big, and location. give people <laughs> really good, genuine service that resolves their animal issue. That's what I want to mm-hmm. do. But before we get there, we're probably going to end up opening Las Vegas. Las hey. Vegas is a really good market, man. Pigeon capital of the West. Well, not only pigeons, but they've got <laughs> speckled rattlesnakes. All up in the city. And diamondbacks like you crazy. Know? They do have a lot of diamondbacks, but it's it's weird because I find the speckled rattlesnakes inside the city limits more than I do the western diamondbacks. Really? Like yep. like lepidus? Yeah, and they're everywhere, you know? Wow. It's not a really big rattlesnake. You no, know, they're, they're pretty small. Yeah, they're. if you found one two foot long, you found a big one. That's a big one, yeah. yeah. But they blend in so well. I mean, and they don't rattle. They just chill. They're just going to let you walk right past them. They sure will. They're they're just like, cool, we're okay. I mean, we've even found them at night looking for them on purpose in uh, in the <laughs> Las Vegas area, especially around Nelson. And mm-hmm. you can move them around with a, with a snake hook, and they just don't rattle, you know? Chilling. I mean, if you sit there and bump them, you can make them rattle. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, they're just like— But they're not like a big, aggressive diamondback that's like, what's up? I'm here. Oh, look, look at me. Those two yeah. wild-caught Western Diamondbacks that I have in my snake room that are like really mm-hmm. big now, I can open the door, which is a good 30 feet from their enclosure, and they start rattling. That's some crazy stuff. Well, man, have we run out of time already? I, I have so much fun telling stories, you know? For sure. Talking about this stuff. I mean, it's it's my passion, you know? It's, it's not only is it my identity— pretty much. But I try to take every single opportunity I can to put this company out in front because not only do I have myself to think about, but now I've got 24 other people that I have to think about. Wow. It's 24 now? Holy smokes. I think we should follow up with this episode and I think we I think we need to do another episode just on what it takes to build a company. What it takes to build a three million dollar company. Yeah, that's a good idea. All right, everybody. We appreciate you listening to the Wildlife Command Center podcast. Um, you know, that it's episode two, Electric Boogaloo of the Wildlife Command Center origin. Next week we'll uh, maybe we'll that's when we'll talk about what it takes to run a multi-million dollar business. Thank you guys for listening. Again, this is Chris Starr with Wildlife Command Center with Michael Baran, a.k.a. Bare Hands Hands Baran. Baran. All right, we're signing off. Thank you for listening. Tune in next week. Thank you, guys. God bless. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening to this podcast. This is Michael Baran, a.k.a. Bare Hands Baran. Make sure you go now to Discovery Plus. Download our reality TV show, Bare Hands Rescue where we are out there every day rescuing people from wild animals. It is entertaining, it is engaging, and it is informative. Download it today 
and listen for our next podcast.